All right, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word. You've given us scripture so that we know where to look when we need to hear from you. Today, may we hear from you. And may you prompt in us something that calls us to respond to your word in faithfulness and love as followers of you. We ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So this is the fifth Sunday in Lent. So we still got our purple out. Um, as you can see, next week we have Palm Sunday. So with Palm Sunday, the color changes. Uh, I need to verify this, um, but I'm pretty positive it's red. So when you see the red change, you know there's something happening in the church calendar, and that will be Palm Sunday, and then Monday, Thursday, um, I think is red also. And then we get to white on Easter, and white is the feast color of celebration. It's reserved only for the most important days in the calendar. So right now we're still in purple. We're still in a, a season of anticipation. And that's what Lent's about. Now at the beginning of um, Lent, I talked about the wilderness. And I talked about how in some ways Lent is our journey through the wilderness to prepare for the crucifixion and the resurrection and all that goes with that. So traditionally, Lent is a time of um, reflection, it's a time of fasting, it's a time of giving, and it's a time of reflecting upon our need for a Savior and for someone to, to rescue us from our brokenness and our sin. And this week in the lectionary, the readings appointed for every Sunday, prepares us for next week. Because next week is Palm Sunday when Jesus enters in to Jerusalem as king. And next week we remember that Jesus entered Jerusalem as king when we celebrate Palm Sunday with the palms and all that goes with that. But for all of us, there's a choice before Palm Sunday. Do we believe that Jesus is king and are we going to accept what that means or are we going to not make that choice? So that's the theme in the direction of this final week of Lent. And the passage that's appointed to explore this idea is found in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I almost said 18. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. So if you want to get out your Bibles or the Pew Bible and follow along, that's page 936. And I strongly encourage you to take out the Pew Bible if you don't have your own and to follow along as we look at this story. It's a shorter one when it comes to some of the gospel readings, but it's an important story within John's gospel. It's a turning point. So John chapter 1, or chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. So we're going to start there today. So this is how John opens this passage. Starting with verse 1, he says... Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. 
Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. All right, so to understand this story, and if you have your Bibles, this is very easy to do. This is why it's important to have your Bibles to look. If we look back at the chapter before, we understand what's going on. So chapter 11, verse 1 and following, does anyone in their Bible, what does the heading say? I don't know what the Pew Bible says. Is there a heading in the Pew Bible? What? All right, the death of Lazarus. All right. So Lazarus dies. He's this person who's friends with Jesus, and he has two sisters, Mary and Martha. They live in Bethany, which is a town about two miles outside of Jerusalem. We think that there's a good chance that Jesus would sometimes stay here whenever he would go to Jerusalem, because especially when there's festivals like the Passover, there's not a lot of space and time or space in Jerusalem because there's people coming from all over. So they'd have to spill out into the countryside and the villages around Jerusalem to find lodging. So we think that Jesus probably stayed with Lazarus and his family when he was in Jerusalem. Or at least it was one of the places he could go if he had to. So Jesus hears, if we were to look at this story, he hears that Lazarus is ill. But he waits a couple more days before he goes to see Lazarus. And by the time he gets there, Lazarus has died. So this is where Jesus mourns. And this is where the shortest verse in the Bible is, verse 35 of chapter 11, Jesus wept. So Jesus mourned the death, death of Lazarus. And then he turns around and he raises him from the dead. And once Jesus does this, the people in the area are coming to visit Mary because her, her brother has died. But they get there and Lazarus is alive. And so what happens is they find out that, one, Jesus is back in the area because Jesus, the reason he wasn't there is because he would kind of went into the wilderness because there had been a lot of people after him because of some things he had done. So he has to go back to Bethany and come back to Jerusalem where there's lots of people trying to find him in order to be there. And also what happens is once this, this uh, raising from the dead happens, some of the people who see Lazarus go and tell the religious leaders. This is in um, the last bit of chapter 11, right before we get to chapter 12. And because of that, people, the religious leaders, decide the only option with Jesus is to have him die. Because they're afraid he's going to create an uprising that's going to cause problems for the Jewish people with the Roman Empire. So the only option is to have Jesus die. So they begin to plot his death. So Jesus, again, escapes into the more secluded areas because of these people who want to kill him. But six days before the Passover, Jesus returns because he's going to return to Jerusalem for the Passover. And we know, we know what happens when he goes to Jerusalem, or right? What happens this time? Passover... He goes to Jerusalem. What happens? Right, crucified. So their plan succeeds. But Jesus comes into Bethany because he's going to celebrate with his, with other Jews the Passover. That's what Jews did. He wasn't going to not do that. Because remember, the Passover was the feast 
that the Jewish people kept because whenever they were in Egypt, they sacrificed a lamb and wiped the blood on the doorposts, and then they were spared. So since that point, they celebrated the Passover where they remembered that God delivered them from slavery and that he was merciful to them. So Jesus arrives and there's a banquet, probably a celebration of Lazarus being healed. And while they're at this banquet, we know that Martha's there because she is serving. And we know Lazarus is there because he's laying with Jesus at the table. But where's Mary? Well, in verse 3, we meet Mary and we see what she's doing. So verse 3 of chapter 12, this is how the story continues. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So Mary comes in and she has this pint of, we're told, nard, which is just this oil from a plant that would be made into perfume. And it was valuable, very valuable. Later on, we learn it's a day's wage. Or not a day's wage, but a year's worth of wages. So imagine that. This is the most valuable thing that Mary has. It's worth a day's wa- or a year's wages. So think about in our standards. I was trying to figure this out last night. Depending on where you look, the average income of an individual slash household in the United States is between thirty-one and forty thousand, maybe up to fifty, depending on the numbers you look at and how they measure. So imagine having something worth $50,000. Now, there are perfumes. I looked this up, too. There is a perfume that was worth a million dollars, all right? Now, it's, it was a special perfume for a fundraiser. But imagine taking that million-dollar perfume and just dumping it out, all right? You could have sold it for a million dollars. It would be the most valuable thing that I would own, even though I don't know why I'd have won a million-dollar perfume. But if I inherited it, I would take it. And if someone wanted to give it to me, I would take it. Or I'd want to take it. So Mary has this perfume. And she dumps it on Jesus' feet. So this is an odd act. This is not something that people expected. This is not something that they did that were like, well, maybe they did that, but we don't do that. You didn't do this. You didn't dump perfume on someone's feet. You did not, if you were a Jewish woman, you did not show your hair. Especially if you were married Jewish women, you never let your hair down in the presence of other men. You always had your hair up. But Mary, it seems, isn't married, but still, she is an unmarried woman letting her hair down in front of a single man and rubbing his feet with her hair. This would have been extremely promiscuous in Jesus' world. But also, hair was a woman's, especially in the Jewish world, her most prized possession. So that she's willing to use her most prized possession while anointing Jesus' feet with her most valued possession. We see the kind of commitment Mary has to Jesus. So guests would be anointed with oil sometimes, but you never anointed people's feet. You only anointed their heads. If you anointed people's feet or did anything to their feet, you had a servant who would wash their feet. But most certainly not one of the, the um, people who was uh, the house. Um, can't even think of the word right now. 
household. I mean, it's Mary's house with her brother and her sister. So if she had a servant, her servant would wash Jesus' feet, but never would one of the homeowners wash feet because that was what servants did. But Mary goes beyond just washing Jesus' feet. She washes his feet with perfume, perfume worth a year's wages. So this paints us a picture. Mary's act is shocking and it's extravagant. It's shocking because she's doing things that's culturally unacceptable. And it's shocking because she's doing things and making herself into a servant. Now what's going to happen next is we're going to look at verse 4. And there's another character who comes to the story. And um, the character is Judas, who we know, probably. Judas, the disciple who betrays Jesus. Now in the literary world, you would have something called a foil, Right? That's a fancy way of saying that you have two characters in a story that contrast one another and bring out each other's strengths and weaknesses. So we see Mary do this, and now we're going to see Judas, who's going to contrast Mary, and he's going to bring out her character, and he's also going to show his own character. So verse 4, this is how Judas responds to what Mary did. He says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. And he said, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. So Judas's reaction seems legitimate at first. He's wondering, well, why wouldn't Mary take this perfume if she wants to use it for something good and sell it and then use the money to go to the poor? Why does she dump it all over Jesus' feet and, and dump all that money down the drain? So this seems like a legitimate suggestion, but when we read verse 6, we see what's really going on. So verse 6, this is how John continues. He said, so this is what John says. Now this is like a comment that John gives that everyone in the story wouldn't have known. But because he's the writer on the outside, he can give us information that he wants us to hear that his characters can't know. And this is what he says. He says, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So Judas, while he seems to be noble, oh, we need to give to the poor, what he really wants is for Mary to sell the perfume and then give the proceeds to Jesus, and then Jesus, thinking they would have this money to use for the poor and to help people, instead, Judas just wants to pocket some of it for himself. He couldn't imagine honoring Jesus by doing this to him because all he can think about is how the money would help him, Judas. So even though Judas has been accompanying accompanying Jesus, he's been Jesus' companion for close to the last two to three years, that doesn't seem to be the case that Judas is actually following Jesus. So this puts us into an important consideration. Are we followers of Jesus or do we simply associate with Jesus? And maybe even for our own gain. There's lots of different advantages to being associated with Jesus. Maybe not so much anymore, 
but there's still a lot of power in our community. Think about all of our politicians who associate with certain ideas because their their, um, constituents want that in a politician, right? Are we followers of Jesus or are we associates? So let's go back into the story because remember the people who are with Jesus don't know what Judas' true motives are. So they think, well, this is a legitimate suggestion. Maybe Mary is being extravagant and foolish with this gift. Maybe she should have sold it. So this is what Jesus responds with in verse 7. He says, leave her alone. I was intend- it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. So Jesus introduces this new idea into the passage. Remember, in the, the verse or the chapter right before, Jesus' death is being plotted. And now John shows us that the death is coming because Jesus says, I needed to be anointed <clears throat> for burial. Now, in the ancient world, Jews and other people would um, anoint bodies with oil and perfume to clean them. And also, they would, they would use the perfume to, to hide the smell before they would uh, be finished with the process of burying someone. So Jesus is being prepared for burial. His death is coming. And he says something else in verse 8. He says this. He says, You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So with that, Jesus references, we think, Deuteronomy 15.11, you will always have the poor among you. We're in Deuteronomy 15.11. What the Jewish people are told is you always have the poor with you, so you always need to be mindful of them. Now, we could interpret this as Jesus saying, the poor is always going to be here. You can't make a difference, so don't help the poor. Instead, it's good to honor me. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. What he's saying is, he's saying my death is coming quickly. The poor will always be here for you to help. But at this point in our relationship, I'm going to be leaving soon. It's important for you to know where you're at. You have to make a decision. There's a choice that needs to be made. Jesus is facing death, and his disciples need to have some urgency about what they actually are going to believe. They're going to have to choose their allegiance. Are they going to follow a convicted felon who's crucified after his death, which automatically associates him with them with him and also associates them with being convicted and potentially dying? Or are they going to run and disassociate as quickly as possible to save themselves? Those will be the two choices, and Jesus knows his disciples are going to have to face this decision. So Judas, we see within this story, is already picking his own interests, excuse me, picking his own interests over following Jesus. He's more concerned with the money than the act of honoring Jesus and showing him such honor and love and humility. But Mary is willing to make great personal sacrifices To just show her love and devotion, 
She's not even doing anything other than just honoring Jesus by washing his feet with perfume and showing him a great honor. Like I said, next week is Palm Sunday. Jesus enters Jerusalem as king, and we remember that and we celebrate that. But with that comes a decision. Are we going to confess Jesus as king? Are we going to rearrange our lives to follow Jesus? In our world, it's becoming more and more difficult to be a Jesus follower and to not look different than our culture. Uh, 50 years ago, even probably 20, 30 years ago, it was a lot easier to be Christian and to feel normal. But it's becoming more and more the case that to be Christian is not to be normal. Are we willing to rearrange our lives to follow Jesus? This is the most important decision that anyone and all of us and every person needs to make in the world. Are they going to believe and trust that Jesus is king? Or are we not going to believe that? Are we simply going to be church people who come, do our duties, and leave? Or are we going to be followers? Are we going to be like Mary, willing to give up our most prized value possession simply to honor Jesus? So what Mary shows us is that our choice to follow Jesus could be costly. And I think most likely it will be costly. But our choice to follow Jesus could be costly. It's important that we don't have any false understanding about what it means to be a disciple. There's people out there who tell you if you follow Jesus, you will be blessed and you will become rich and you have health and you have the best relationships. But there's no guarantee that all that will happen. Now, I do think that if you're following Jesus, you actually will be more happy, but your life might not seem more happy to people who use the world and human standards. Our choice to follow Jesus could be costly. Because a lot of people look at Mary's actions and they see extravagance. But what Mary's actually showing us is that she realized that following Jesus and his values, the values of his kingdom, were more important than the values of the world. So while the world would look at this perfume and think, how could you ever dump it on someone's feet? It would have made you rich if you sold it. It was always there in case you needed money. She could have even just dumped some of it out. She didn't have to dump all of it out. But she knew kingdom values, the way of Jesus, was more important. And so her entire world was rearranged. What was important to her before wasn't important anymore. What seemed important to all other humans isn't important to the followers of Jesus. Our choice to follow Jesus could be costly. But when we're actually following Jesus, I don't think we see it as a cost. Because we have what's most important in life. 
Kingdom people, people who follow Jesus as members of his kingdom, in some ways, we're a little bit weird. We're weird because we care about odd things. And I think the best way to show this is when I was in seminary and even at Huntington University, I would meet people who this is their second career. There was people who had jobs making five figures, six figures, high five figures, six figure jobs, high six figure jobs. And they left those jobs to go to seminary and to go into ministry where most likely the most they could ever make is somewhere in that middle range of what we know is the average income in the United States. These people gave up lucrative jobs with benefits, stock options, you name it, because they had kingdom values and they knew that doing the work of the kingdom was more important than having a job that made them a lot of money. Our choice to follow Jesus could be costly. But as we prepare for Palm Sunday, as we prepare to enter Lent, we need to decide, are we going to be followers of Jesus because it's the most important decision we will ever make? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we ask that you be with us as we weigh the options, as we think about all of the potential questions and decisions that go into following you and the uncertainty of the future. We thank you that you've given us things that you've blessed us, that you've given us the opportunity to be in a country that has such wealth. But with that, God, comes the decisions of how we use the wealth we have and how we pursue and live our lives. May we make the hard choices to be your follower. May we make the life decisions that require us to face difficult times and face people we don't want to see, but all because we know in the end it's about your kingdom and it'll all be better. Help us to make the decision that we know we need to make. And give us the strength to live as kingdom people the way of Jesus. Lord, we ask this all in your son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.